coming up on the Children's Hour. We're going to meet with folks from BEMP, the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project. It's a school-based learning project which partners scientists conducting real science with students in their classrooms and out in the field. Here in New Mexico, it's these kids who are leading the research into North America's largest rodent, the porcupine. We'll learn all about porcupines, why they're so elusive, and what's the truth behind their quills. We're so glad you're with us for a full hour about porcupines. The Children's Hour is a production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. We post a lot of photos, links, and more related to our content every week. You can find us at childrenshour.org. It's time for the Children's Hour. Kids Why is a porcupine a great friend? I don't know why. They stick with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio.
listening to the children's hour. I'm Katie Stone and I'm in the Sunspot Solar Studio in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And welcome to the show and hello to the crew. Hi. Who is with us? Hi, it's Lucas. Hi, it's Illuminata. Hello, it's Isaac. Hi, it's Maya. Hi, it's Elliot. Hi, it's Evan. Hi, it's Daniel. Hi, it's Octavia. Hello, it's Amadeus. Hello, it's Zen. Happy day, it's Maya. Taco do do do, it's Imogene. Well, you all, I'm so glad you're with us today on the Children's Hour. We're going to be talking about a very special critter on the show today, the porcupine. People on my crew, have you ever seen porcupines along the river? Yes, yes. a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. At school, too. How can people tell when they see a porcupine? What does it look like? Kind of like a fuzzy basketball in a tree. Yeah, it's like a big blob that kind of it, looks like a mess. To me, it kind of just looks like a big ball of fur. What I love about seeing them in trees is that you can tell that they're not a nest of like a, a hawk nest because they kind of glow in the light, surprisingly so. And then their little faces are so furry and cute. They're very interesting, yeah. Well, one thing we're going to learn about today is that porcupines have very interesting diets. We're also going to find out about how in New Mexico is really where it's happening for porcupine research in the United States. And the people leading that research are kids. Have any of you heard of this organization called BEMP, the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project? Is anyone on my crew in BEMP? I'm in BEMP. Elliot is. 
Yeah, we've BEMPed. We've BEMPed, yeah. What happens when, when you're in BEMP? What have you done before? In BEMP, we see the groundwater levels and we see how many leaves are falling off the trees so that we can help scientists at UNM discover more about the ball skin and see how the, our ball skin is doing. We've, we've done a bunch of things. We've done um, small mammal trapping. We've done bird banding. Dang. Yeah, I've done bird um, banding with her. We've gone on river trips and camping trips with them. I have as well as I've been one to collect some of traps. Uh, we've sometimes seen in some of the traps some lizards, some bugs. We kind of took note of how many of each species were there in each of the traps we set up and to collect some data. They're the pitfall data. traps. Yeah, the pitfall um, traps. Usually try and intend those. And we bring like notebooks and plastic bags to record the data of how many insects are in there, or maybe there's a lack of insects and there's a lizard, and we have to record that. And it's a lot of fun. And knowing that all these insects are going to be studied is pretty cool. That's one of the neatest things about it is that it's kids doing the research that help scientists who are maybe probably mostly not kids learn more about our bosque, which is the forested area along the Rio Grande. Here in Albuquerque, the beautiful Rio Grande runs right through our city. So a lot of wildland to play with right in the center of our city along the river. We're going to learn about BEMP today. And we're also going to learn about the mysterious and elusive porcupine. And we're going to take a look at some of the opportunities available to participate in citizen science right from your own home. Today we're getting pokey with porcupines on the children's hour. (laughs) (laughs) Pokey the porcupine, he mostly takes his time, doesn't get a lot of hugs but doesn't mind. Pokey the porcupine, once pokey slipped and rolled down a hill, landed upside down in a marshmallow spill. He got right up and marched back up the hill with a hundred marshmallows stuck to his quills. So Pokey went to the Honey Bear Club, where bears share their honey they love. He said, hey there, bears, I brought you a snack. And they pulled all the marshmallows off of his back. Seth Hoffman with a song he wrote for the Children's Hour, Porcupine, and before that, The Happy Racers. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and we are so excited to have back in the studio folks from the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project. And with us on the line is Katie Elder. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. <laughs> and Michaela Ranspot. Hello, Michaela. Hello. <laughs> So, Katie, you are an educator and a biologist. Can you tell us what BEMP is? 
BEMP is a citizen science program that collects data that is used uh, by agencies and uh, local officials, and all the data is collected by students. The Bosque ecosystem, which is the riparian or river forest that goes right through Albuquerque, is where we do a lot of our research. And this is on the Rio Grande. Yes, we focus on the middle section of the Rio Grande that goes through New Mexico. We have research sites as far north as Santo Domingo Pueblo and all the way down south to Las Cruces. Michaela Ranspot, you're a 12th grader at a public charter school here called Amy Beale. And can you tell us about your involvement with BEMP and what you do there? I am an intern at BEMP. Through um, Amy Bill, we do a thing called Senior Projects, and that is where we pick a site that we do 100 hours of service. And so my site is at BEMP, and through that, I am able to do different projects with Katie involving with the ecosystem in Albuquerque. Today on the show, Michaela and Katie are with us from BEMP, and Michaela's project involves porcupines. So today on the show, we were really hoping that you all could teach us about the mysterious and beautiful porcupine. What is a porcupine? A porcupine is a large rodent that lives in the Albuquerque Bosque. It can also live in desert habitats and mountainous habitats. Uh, They're very common, but not a lot of research has been done on them. They're very quiet and sit up in a tree a lot of the times and People sometimes walk right by them without even noticing. Do porcupines ever come down to the ground? They do. So porcupines are nocturnal, which means that they're mostly active at night. So they spend most of the day sitting up in a tree sleeping and come down at night to eat and to switch trees, stretch out, go find a better bud to munch on. Whoa, what kind of things do they eat? Well, they eat a lot of different things. So the with me working with Katie, that was a part of my project to look at what they were eating. Um, mostly what we see is they eat a lot of cottonwood trees. They also eat different species on the ground. So they can eat like things such as elm or they can just eat different um, trees or just different plants that you see on the ground. So it just depends. And that's what my project was focusing on just to look at that. How were you able to find out what they eat? So I was able to learn about stable isotopes. And I went to a workshop that Katie invited me to. So a stable isotope, it's um, a proton that has different numbers of neutrons within it. So through that, we can look at C13, C12. Those are the ones that are kind of in a stable isotope. But with those, we can determine the carbon and nitrogen in the quills. Everything is made up of atoms around us. Animals are mostly made out of carbon atoms and nitrogen atoms. And the way that an atom works is there's, you know, the nucleus that has protons and neutrons. And around that nucleus, there are the negative electrons. But not all atoms of the same element are made the same. Some atoms have more neutrons, which makes them heavier. So what Michaela was talking about with the carbon, I forget, she knows better than me the the exact um, number of the isotope, but um, some carbon atoms are more heavy than other carbon atoms because they have more neutrons in their nucleus. 
And so looking at the ratio of the heavy carbon atoms versus the lighter carbon atoms, you can tell exactly what an animal has been eating by comparing that ratio in the animal to the ratio of those carbon atoms in the plant. If you get stabbed by a porcupine quill, um, is there a high chance of getting an infection? That is a great question. Porcupine quills are meant to stick into a predator so that they remember not to mess with them again. Uh, But porcupines actually have an antibiotic on their skin and that can be on their quills. Uh, So initially, you should be okay and not get infected because of that property that porcupines have. Although if you leave a quill in or don't clean the wound afterwards, you could definitely get an infection from something else down the road. Why do they have this antibiotic on their quills? So porcupines like to climb up into cottonwood trees and eat the buds that are at the very tip of the stem. And they're a pretty heavy animal. Most of them are about 15 pounds. And so if you can imagine a really heavy animal up on top of a really thin stick uh, or branch on the tree, they have a possibility of falling out of that tree. And so porcupines can be a little clumsy and fall out of trees or accidentally poke themselves. So in the case that they do accidentally poke themselves, they need to have that antibiotic so that they can prevent themselves from getting sick or infected from their own clumsiness. How many quills does a porcupine have? Porcupines have 30,000 quills, and they're all modified hairs. So that's just the number of quills, but they also have other hairs on their bodies as well. Does it have poison in the quills? They do not have poison in their quills, but it can be very painful to get poked by one of them. What is the big role of porcupines in like the life cycle or in the world? That's a great question, and that's actually really important and a big reason why there's not a lot of research done on porcupines. All that I know of is BEMP in the Southwest researching porcupines. So one reason that they're researched a lot in other parts of the United States is because they can be pests. They like to eat wood that's been treated with salts because their diet is salt deficient. In nature, salt is pretty rare, and a lot of wood that we use for building is treated with a type of salt, and so porcupines have actually been chewing on people's houses. So that's why there's been more research in other areas. But in the bosque, they are important food sources for various predators. How can any predator possibly eat a porcupine? Because don't they eject their quills onto anyone who tries to touch them? Ooh, thank you for bringing that up. That is an urban legend that porcupines can shoot their quills. They actually cannot do that. And they don't have any quills on their face or on their bellies. So if a predator is able to flip them over, they can, they can eat them from their belly. We're talking with Katie Elder and Michaela Ranspot from the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project about porcupines. 
Children's Hour is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. Support for the Children's Hour provided by Electric Playhouse, an immersive entertainment and events center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Playhouse is open. You can purchase tickets, learn about events, play, and other opportunities, including future locations and music shows, at electricplayhouse.com. About 28 million children live in the United States between the ages of 5 and 11 years old, and nearly 2 million of them have had COVID-19. COVID-19 can make children very sick, lead to long-term health impacts, and some kids even die. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective against this deadly disease. Find a location near you at vaccines.gov or text your zip code to 438-829. That's 438-829. Let's end the pandemic. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and we're talking with our friends from the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project. Katie Elder is an educator, and Michaela Ranspot is a 12th grader who has been studying porcupines all year. Before the break, we had just started talking about the predators of porcupines. Evan's got a question. Who are the porcupines' predators? Porcupines are eaten by coyotes by golden eagles, by great horned owls, by uh, mountain lions, and people in some parts of the world. (laughs) How long do they live? They live about the same lifespan as a dog. They uh, have been known to live up to 18 years in the wild, a little bit longer in captivity. But with the craziness of living as a wild animal, it's usually more like probably eight to 12 years that they can live. Back to shooting quills is an urban myth. So I thought that they sort of just like relaxed their quills, I guess, and they just fell out sort of when they wanted to. Yeah, so uh, porcupine quills are attached um, to the skin just like a hair is. At the, the tip of every quill, there's a barb. And so when they hit you with their tail, that barb sticks into your skin and helps uh, to pull the, uh, the quill out of the porcupine's body and stick it into your, your body. <laughs> Are there different facial expressions or things that porcupines do to show that they're angry or sad or happy? Yeah, so porcupines are actually kind of vocal. (laughs) Uh, So I have actually uh, been privileged enough to help uh, catch porcupines. We have a project where we put radio collars around their neck and track how big their, their home range is. So porcupines will make kind of squeaky noises when we catch them. Uh, that they're not very, that to them telling us that they're not very pleased. They also can flick their tail around and, but yeah, they do make vocalizations. They don't have as many face muscles as we do to make like a smiley face or a sad face. Uh, they got those big teeth sticking out of their face too. So it makes it hard to smile when you got big old teeth sticking out of your head. But they do um, have different ways of showing whether they're happy or sad. These are the sounds of a porcupine. Sometimes I've heard these sounds late, late at night, in the middle of the night. 
They can be kind of freaky. Um, I was wondering if you're going out on a hike or somewhere and um, you're looking for porcupines, what kind of things should you look for? Porcupines are very, very hungry. And you can see a lot of signs of where porcupines have chewed on bark. They have a very distinctive chew pattern where they rip off the outer part of the bark and they eat the inner layer, which is called cambium, kind of like corn on the cob. They just kind of munch all up and down the side. Uh, also, porcupine poop can be a good indicator that there might be a porcupine in a tree above you. Um, so <laughs> looking on the ground for, for porcupine scat, which is kind of a brown, half inch long oval. And they also have nip twigs. And these are uh, small branches that they've accidentally dropped on the ground from when they're eating. And you'll notice that they've eaten the little buds off of each of the sticks. Mostly, if you're looking to see a porcupine in a tree, it's best to look for something that looks like a big ball of nest up in a tree. And it's usually a porcupine. And it's easiest to see them before all the leaves go out on the trees. Are they still hanging out in the trees all summer? They are. They are active all year round. It's just harder to see them during the summer because the leaves can block them. So recently there was a porcupine tagging at my school. Why is it so important that we tag the porcupines? Because there has been so little work done um, researching porcupines, we felt that it was important to understand the population here where I went to school in California, actually, they were researching porcupines because they thought that their populations were declining, but they didn't actually know anything about the population. So they couldn't say it was declining since they didn't have anything to go off of. So when we tag a porcupine, uh, we put a little pit tag in. It's the same thing that they put into dogs and cats. So you can scan over them and know which porcupine that is. And using that information, we can figure out how many porcupines there are and how long they're living and where all they're moving. All sorts of important questions that we need to understand to better ensure that porcupines are doing well and their population is healthy. Porcupines live in like groups, like in a community, or do they just live alone? Porcupines are mostly solitary. They get together when it's breeding season or when they're having babies. Uh, but for the most part, they hang out on their own. They don't seem to mind if another porcupine is in the tree, but they're definitely not very social with each other. Can porcupine quills grow back? Yes, they can grow back. So porcupine quills are just modified hairs. So just like the hairs on your head, as they fall out, they can be replaced by new quills. And that's actually part of Michaela's project was taking a porcupine quill. Uh, Michaela, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> With my project, when we first started it, me and Katie didn't really know how fast they grew. So we looked up a different, a bunch of different research papers. And I first, I didn't even know how they grew back, but it's a half a millimeter per day on one of the research papers that we looked at. So 
in that span of time with my project on those different parts of the quill, I was able to look at like what they're eating at this specific time. Yeah. So it was really cool. One porcupine quill gives you a snapshot of a few months of what that porcupine's been eating. So it was really cool work that was, that Michaela was doing. Within the project, we're able to compare one porcupine, one porcupine with two different quills of the same one. So a porcupine that ate something a year ago, we can look at that and compare what they were doing with the one quill. So on the graph, we could see the spikes at the different points of what they were eating. So I just thought that was interesting in comparison to what the quill was representing in that time period. Because they must have to change their diet all year long based on what's growing. I mean, there's only cottonwood buds this time of year. And that's what we're looking at is because I didn't know anything about that. And one porcupine, she was a female and she was pregnant. And that's one of the most interesting things that we looked at is her diet shifted a lot in four months because she was pregnant. But one of our other porcupines that we looked at, he was male. And his diet didn't change at all in the span of eight years. He was just eating the same thing over that span of eight years. Michaela Ranspot is a 12th grader at the public charter school, Amy Beal High. And Katie Elder is a biologist and educator with the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project. Thank you both so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. If a little porcupine was trying to be your friend Would you run away or would you understand That he's covered up with spines With sharpened ends But maybe that was not the body he'd have planned He's a member of a race Seeking shelter from the predators Who wanna eat him up Give a porcupine his space Or you'll suffer They are friendly but it's better not to touch Warning when you're making friends with porcupines Heed this warning Or you're picking out the sharpened spines Stand back, you're too close If a little porcupine Trying to be your friend Would you run away or would you understand That he's covered up with spines That he's covered up with sharpened ends But maybe that was not the body he'd have planned He's a member of a race Seeking shelter from the predators That wanna eat him up Give a porcupine his space Or you'll suffer They are friendly but it's better not to touch Porcupine is from a CD called 26 Animals by Artichoke. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and on the line with us is Dr. David Hansen. He's a professor of biology at the University of New Mexico. Welcome back to the Children's Hour, Dr. Hansen. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here again. You have such exciting news to share for kids in our audience, and I just can't wait for you to tell everyone. Tell us what's going on. 
Yeah, I'm super excited because uh, uh, Jacob Torres, who is a NASA scientist that's from Espanola, um, he's been growing the uh, chilies in the space station, and he and I have put together a nationwide uh, space chili uh, grow a pepper plant challenge. And you can find that on Facebook, but the idea is that we will mail you chili seeds of Chamayo chilies that are great for growing on the space station, and we want to try you to try to grow them in your house, right? And with your window light or artificial lights and using soil or any other um, uh, hydroponic media that you want to try, I've got all kinds of examples of how to of what people have been doing, and we want to see who can do the best job with it. And then you're asking people to report back how well the chilies grew, or are you asking them to send you back the chili plants themselves? Yeah, so we want to do both. We want people to check in online on the Facebook page and show us their growth and work with us to, to track how they're growing really well. And if they actually get a pepper growing, we want to see who gets the biggest peppers. And the biggest peppers we want to have sent back to me at UNM, and I'm going to measure the capsation content to see who can grow the biggest, hottest chili. The biggest, hottest chili challenge. And how are these connected to NASA and the space station? Yeah, so they're right now are doing, uh, they're growing New Mexico, New Mexico chilies on the space station. They're just doing that trial uh, this spring. And, um, and we want to try to see how we can improve that or get them to grow indoors uh, ourselves. We're also collaborating with another group out of Florida that's doing the Growing Beyond Earth uh, educational challenge, and they're pairing up with us to help do this sort of nationwide. So it's a nationwide effort to get all kinds of people. It doesn't have to be just kids. It can be adults, anyone who wants to do it, uh, to help learn how to grow chilies really well in, in space. Can you tell us how people can learn more about this, David? Yes. The easiest thing is to uh, go to Facebook and search the Space Chili Grow a Pepper Plant Challenge. It's a mouthful, but you'll there's only one. <laughs> the Space Chili, and that's spelled C-H-I-L-E. Yes. Grow a Pepper Plant Challenge. That sounds really super fun. And this is a, a science activity that any age can participate in. And the only deal is they have to grow it inside. Yes. And if they have the ability to, to, if you have different kinds of LED lights, that's great. If you want to try hydroponics, that's great too. But if you just want to try growing them in a cup, in some soil, inside in your window, that's also uh, really good. We want to see how we can do that well. And Dr. Hansen, these are New Mexico green chili plants, right? They're New Mexico chilies, the heirloom variety out of Chamayo, though I believe they're red. Ooh. Don't all chilies start green, though, and then turn red? <laughs> I think these are a variety that are, that are meant to be eaten when they're red or harvested when they're red. Oh, I see. Very cool. Dr. David Hansen, are you hoping that people grow them all the way until they produce fruit? Yeah, you bet. But it's going to take a couple months to do that. So it'll go beyond the school year and into the summer. Can folks eat the chili that they grow on their plants? Oh, you bet. I would be really upset if they didn't. <laughs> Dr. David Hansen, he is a professor of biology at the University of New Mexico. You too can participate in the Space Chili Grow a Pepper Challenge. Thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. Thank you. It's easy to find the Space Chili Challenge on Facebook. 
You're listening to the Children's Hour. The Children's Hour radio show is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by the County of Bernalillo, New Mexico, bernco.gov. Support for the Children's Hour is also provided by the City of Albuquerque's Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by Token Ibis, a nonprofit making philanthropy accessible to everyone. To sign up, go to tokenibis.org. You're listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back.
Change the color of my pee. That's disgusting. How in the world? And introducing a real life scientist, Dr. Amanda. <laughs> so, how do fish breathe? So, just like seltzer has bubbles of carbon dioxide in it, water has tiny bubbles of oxygen in it, and fish use their gills to absorb it. How do you know that? Well, a scientist did an experiment, and then other scientists did the same experiment and confirmed it. Like the time we both ate that old sandwich. And we both barfed! It's science! That was the pop-ups from a 2019 Grammy-nominated release, Giants of Science, right here on the Children's Hour. Katie Elder stayed with us on the line. She's from BEMP, the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project. She's the Education Director. And Katie, I wanted to ask you about more opportunities for families to participate in citizen science. Citizen scientists or community scientists are just normal people that don't have a degree or any special training that are going out and helping to collect really important information about the world around us. One thing that BEMP is involved with, uh, we're a coordinating partner for the Rio Grande Phenology Trail, uh, along with the Valle de Oro National Wildlife Refuge and the USA National Phenology Network. Uh, And this is a program that uses community scientists to monitor trees and plants and phenology. Phenology is a fancy word for the seasonal changes that happen with plants and animals. BEMP mostly monitors uh, cottonwood trees. And so we're looking at when buds emerge, when flowers emerge, when the the leaves start to change, when the leaves start to drop, um, all those kinds of things. Uh, But you can also track the phenology or seasonal changes of things in your backyard as well. For me, I have lilacs in my backyard. They just bloomed this week. Nature's Notebook is an app that I have on my phone. You can also access it on the internet. And it's a way that we can track the coming of spring. We're in the middle of spring right now. Understanding how seasons come and go and how early or late they come every year is really important for making sure that we understand how to best help the environment with the the changing world that we're in. When kids collect that data, is it actually used by real scientists? It is. It is a national program. So this data goes to something even bigger than us in New Mexico. It goes into uh, this national program that is really important and used by real scientists. So it's really awesome, important work. And if any of you are interested in getting involved with Nature's Notebook, if you go to BEMP.org, to the uh, education resources, there's some tips and tricks on how to how to get started with that. Katie Elder is from BEMP. It's the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Project, and their website is BEMP.org. 
And you can find lots of educational resources there, including many ways to engage in citizen science wherever you might be. Coming off a CD called Science Fair, this is Mates of State, right here on the Children's Hour.
está picando quiero. Al pon pon que duro tortugón, al pin pin picoso puerco espín, arre que te pon y arre que te pin, ahí viene el tortugón con su amigo el puerco espín. Al pon pon que duro tortugón, al pin pin picoso puerco espín, arre que te pon y arre que te pin. From a CD called Musi, the band is Trepsi. Puerco Spin is the name of that song. There are many more resources online for citizen scientists to be engaged in your community, studying the science right around you. One of my favorite ways is through Coco Raz, C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S dot org. And that's a way that you can submit your weather observations every day, including precipitation and wind and all kinds of information, which is then gathered and used by meteorologists working all over the world. We've posted a lot of links for you at childrenshour.org. Just look for the episode page all about porcupines. Being a part of citizen science is fun. This is Duke Otherwise from a CD called Kith and Kin. They say everybody go home. It's getting dark. so far away Not me I live close to where we play While all my friends turn tail I'm one lucky snail I'm already
Every day I jump out of bed, splash water all over my head, brush them up my teeth, and make sure my ears are clean. These days you gotta be strong, so I do a push-up and sing a song, I pick on the guitar and stamp on the tambourine. Always good to change my socks, know the tools in my toolbox, learn people good, but learn myself the best. Don't get lonesome, stay glad, take a bath, wear some plaid, work when I can work, but don't forget to rest. Dream good all night long, rise up and sing your song. They say life is hard and they're not wrong So keep that hope machine running strong Hadiole 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 What you can plan, dance when you can, can laugh at yourself and make up your own jokes. A little bit of fun, a little bit of growth, hopefully a little bit of both. Love your ma, love your pa, and love all kinds of folks. Talk quiet and listen loud, teach humble and learn proud. Scuffle with the struggle and wrestle with the pain. Open homes, open blinds, open hearts, open minds Let in the sunshine, let in the rain And dream good all night long Rise up and sing your song They say life is hard and they're not wrong So keep that hope machine running strong Gotta keep that hope machine running From a brand new release by the Okie Dokie Brothers, Hope Machine, that's the title track right here on the Children's Hour. We're going to go out with Yaniza, a song called Happiness. Catch you next time for another edition of the Children's Hour. Trying to be perfect, losing your sense of self, to be someone else. Try to go furthest, losing the race each time, left yourself behind. I told you gotta live with what you got Let go of what you're not Gotta keep in mind You were born to smile Cause happiness don't come easy And I'm glad I got you here with me With a little bit of love and a little bit of luck You could be smiling and you could have fun But happiness don't come
Hour is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit corporation. Our show was written by Katie Stone with help from all of us and the kids' crew. Production help was provided by me, Christina Stella. Find lots of information about us at childrenshour.org. Our podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast or at patreon.com slash the children's hour. Or ask your smart speaker to play the children's hour podcast. We post our photos and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at TCH Radio. Our theme music is written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by the Children's Hour Incorporated, PRX, and the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio.